0: to turn in your Bibles or to follow along on the screen as we hear from this morning's gospel lesson. It comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I think you'll hear the overtones of the songs you've been singing in, uh, in this scripture. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding, and when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim and he told them now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet and they did so and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine and he did not realize when it hit, where it had come from though the servants knew who had drawn the water the servants who had drawn the water knew and then the master of the banquet called the bridegroom aside and said everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink but you have saved the best wine until now. What Jesus did here in in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. Whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, Help us to hear. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. I know we're a little bit past Christmas, but before we get to today's text, I just want to revisit something. I want to go back, do a little bit of a a remembrance of how we got to this place at the wedding of Cain. I want you to remember what what Mary's experience was before this moment. When Jesus was coming into the world, God sent a heavenly messenger to Mary. Mary. And the very first words that the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary were, do not be afraid. Which is, as far as I can tell, the clearest sign that angels don't really understand what it means to be human. Because if you want to tell someone, if you want someone to not be afraid, the single worst way to make that happen is to walk up to them and begin your conversation by saying, don't be afraid. There's nothing that's going to lessen my fear that comes with what you say next. And if you really want to hire, raise somebody's anxiety level, if you really want to introduce them to fear, walk up to them and say, do not be afraid, you're pregnant. (laughs) Angels, we have it on good authority from Jesus, do not marry or recreate, and so we have to wonder if Gabriel really understood the, uh, the, the subtleties and the nuances of what God was asking Gabriel to say as Gabriel is in this moment asking Mary to consider everything that's about to change between herself and her fiance. Between herself and her community in a world where this would have been the final word in her reputation. Everything is about to change between her and her body and all of her plans. But Mary, to her credit, recovers quickly. And she asks one or two questions and in a matter of moments is able to say to Gabriel, let it be with me just as you have said. And all that is long in the past by the time we get to today's passage. That is now three decades probably in the past when Mary goes to a wedding that some friends are throwing in the town of Cana. And we could forgive Mary... If that intervening time had caused her to be a little less sympathetic to the people around her. If she, kind of like Gabriel, was a little less in touch with other people's emotions or their fears. Because Mary's wedding must have been a very different one than this one in Cana. It must have been a quick and hurried and somewhat hushed up affair affair. And when we think about all that she had experienced, the flight to Egypt and the return, losing Jesus in the temple, like we heard about last week, what it meant to be entrusted by this incredible gift from God. And as she had been willing to risk the the rejection of her community, the loss of standing. We would have understood if she was a little less sympathetic and a little bit more blithe to the fears of others, if she had noticed the wine was running out and she had seen the panicked looks in her friends' faces and she'd be like, don't be afraid. It's no big deal. Let me tell you about real crises. But maybe it was just precisely because Mary knows exactly what is at stake when you're standing in the community, is threatened, when your reputation is on the line, when you're risking some sort of, even a small social penalty, and what other people are going to say, maybe it is precisely because she knows that very, very well, that she is the one who notices that all the servants are walking around with empty wineskins. And the bridegroom is starting to dart his eyes and look if anybody has noticed, if there's maybe a jar or a bottle hiding in the corner because there is a lot riding on this, social grace and reputation and the goodwill of your neighbors. Maybe that's why Mary noticed and why she was worried. Maybe more than anybody else there. Certainly she seems more worried than her son. Jesus, who is off to the side with his disciples talking about things that must have seemed to Mary as if they were so heavenly minded they did no earthly good. Jesus has got these new followers that he's just called, and they're around him, and they are asking him questions, and they are so caught up in the romance and the, the wonder of this moment, this revolution that they're a part of. Jesus has gone around calling new disciples, saying, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, and now they have to pause to go to a wedding. So at the reception, they're off to the side talking about the things that really matter. They sit there dreaming and scheming of ruling a kingdom while Mary's good friends are over here to the side And what is supposed to be a day for everyone to share in their joy is quickly becoming a day of embarrassment. And if the disciples have noticed it, they certainly haven't seemed to care, and no one seems to have mentioned it to Jesus. And so Mary has to take charge of the situation. She has to take responsibility. She walks right up into that crowd of Jesus and his followers. And she says, they're out of wine, Jesus. She walks right up as he's talking about whatever it is the disciples are asking him to say. Right, as he's saying, the kingdom of God is like, and he's talking about the big things. And she says, they're out of wine, Jesus. Mary has lived such a life that she is very acutely aware that when she talks to her son, Jesus, some of the disciples are gonna kinda like roll their eyes. Right? Ugh, this is embarrassing. And they saw Jesus walking around with one tunic, homeless, on this one-man crusade to heal, to save, to do battle with the dark forces and spiritual powers of this world. That seemed cool to them. That seemed important. And now they're feeling a little sorry for Jesus because even he has to put up with a mother's worries. They must have been wondering, isn't it strange that she can't see how special her son is? That he has more important things to do. That's what they hear in what Jesus responds. Woman, what has this to do with us? They hear him saying, you don't get it. The disciples must have wondered, isn't it strange how those who know us best often know us the least? Except that, of course, it turns out it was the disciples who didn't really know what Jesus was about. They are the, two strange, the true strangers to Jesus who can't even entertain the possibility that Jesus cares about this stuff more than we do who are so wrapped up the disciples are in what they want to hear that they can't understand what Jesus actually says. They think his question, what has this to do with us, was meant to cut off an interrupting mother when in fact it was the question that Jesus had been longing for the disciples to ask. What are we supposed to do about this? What does this have to do with us? Why does this matter to? disciples don't get it now and they're not going to get it for a very long time. But when Jesus starts talking about the kingdom, when he says something like the kingdom of God is like, the most common way he's going to finish that sentence is like a wedding feast. The disciples see Jesus and all they see is the heroic fight and the noble sacrifice. They see everything that he has given up and they are proud of what they have given up to follow him. And Jesus is pleading with them to see not only the sacrifice but the extravagance that he has come to offer. The disciples see Jesus and they're excited about him because they think maybe he's gonna root out the bad stuff that's in the middle of them. He's gonna get rid of Rome. He's gonna get rid of sin. He's gonna take away all the bad stuff in the world. It never occurs to them that the way he will do it is by bringing more good stuff than they know what to do with. But that's what happens again and again and again. We're told that this one time Jesus went to a dinner And everybody's gathered around and they're enjoying the good food. When a woman comes in and she breaks open a jar of perfume that was worth a year's wages and she pours it on Jesus' feet as an act of offering and we're told that the people who were there, all they could see was the expense of it and the waste. And they said, how dare she spend this money so extravagantly? And Jesus corrected them and said, stop and breathe it in. There's another time Jesus hung out with this guy named Zacchaeus, rich dude, guy who knew how to party, guy who got so caught up in the presence of Jesus that after they had finished their dinner, Zacchaeus ran out into the streets and just started making it rain like nobody had ever seen. It was a wild night at Vegas. He said, I'm going to go to anyone I've ever slightly defrauded, and I'm going to pay them back everything I owe them with 400% interest. And as Jesus saw Zacchaeus just going wild with the extravagance, doing way more than anybody would have ever asked, Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and he said, salvation has come to this household. There was another time that Jesus went to uh, the temple and there was a parade going on prayed of all the wealthy donors and patrons coming by on their golden litters and their purple dialed camels and they would come to the treasury box and they would pull out their wad of money and they would count it, each dollar going into the box. And then a woman followed in behind and just didn't bother counting. She just reached into her pockets, pulled it all out, and dropped it in the box like it wasn't a thing. And everybody who was watching saw that the number was a lot smaller than what those who had come in with all the pomp and circumstance had given. And Jesus looked at the freedom with which she gave it, and he said, she lives large. It's the strangest thing. Wherever Jesus goes, a party breaks out and fears are forgotten and the disciples are there and they keep asking, when's the kingdom gonna come? And it never occurs to them that it might already be showing up wherever people are celebrating the good stuff without any fear, And at this particular party, at a word from his mama, Jesus brings the best stuff in the house. He brings 900 bottles of it, which makes me suspect that our prayers are too small. Because I often come to God and I say, God, just take this away from me, please. (laughs) This greed, this pride, this lust, this gluttony, this whatever sin, God, just take it away. But God wants to make me a saint who shines in glory. And I come to God and I say, just give me enough strength to make it through to bedtime. And God wants me to run and never grow weary. God wants me to mount up on wings like I am with the eagles. And I pray, God, just keep me safe from my enemies. He wants me to love them. God is longing to make me strong enough to love them and share with them my own salvation. And I start too many of my prayers with that cowardly word, just. Mm. Just this, God. Just do that. Sometimes, maybe you identify, I feel guilty. I honestly feel afraid to ask for anything more than just enough to get by just give me enough god i should be afraid to ask for anything less than enough to share and then when that gift comes i'll know it is grace Because that's what grace means. It is a gift freely shared, and God loves to give it. And when the gift comes, when the grace comes, it comes in the form of good stuff that drives out all the fear. There's one commentator named James Poulis who says this about the power of extravagant grace. He says, For thousands of years, the basic idea of grace has remained the same. It says, You are free from the fears of this world. The fearful spirit says, This is what I have to do because of the circumstances. The gracious spirit testifies. So thanks be to God for Mary, who testified that the circumstances can change. Hail Mary, who's not afraid to submit even the trifling worries of a wedding feast to the abundance of Jesus. Hail Mary, who walked right up to Jesus and testified to the need, said this needs to be fixed, who walked right up to the servants and testified that Jesus could provide abundantly for it. Hail Mary, who understood that God is not merely asking us to do less bad, but God is longing to give us more good and call us to more good than we even know how to ask for. And hail to all the saints who discover and share the abundance of God. Hail to the martyrs who once went singing to their persecution and praising God. And hail to those who once went with hymns to face the fire hoses. Hail to those who live and plant themselves in their neighborhood alongside the needs of others, finding and building the joys rather than simply moving on to the next best thing. Hail to everyone who's found joy, abundant joy, in living a simple life for God, not because we're proud of what we gave up, but because of all the abundance we discovered, including that we have enough to share, And hail to those who believe they have been blessed to be a blessing. And hail to everyone who has looked at all of the things that we fear and said, there is still joy. It's interesting. John tells us that all this stuff happened on the third day. Third day of what? Third day since when? John doesn't tell us. We don't know what happened on day one or two. John just calls this the third day because for Christians, of course, the third day is not a particular date. It's a discovery. If you need reminding, it was on the third day that a crucified Jesus rose from his tomb, and it was on the third day that God conquered the most final and seemingly powerful of our fears. It was on the third day that God invited us into a gift that is so extravagant, so abundant, so boundless that the only word we have for it is eternal life. And the third day could be any day. It will be every day. And it is the day you receive such extravagant forgiveness and love and generosity and courage and power that you become extravagant in the way you share it. When your life is a testimony that says, this is the good stuff. So do not be afraid. You are highly favored with an extravagant grace. Do not be afraid. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.